Welcome to the Sacrifice of Praise, where we discuss hymns, worship, and Christian living. I'm Stephen, and it's my hope that this podcast will help you to offer a more thoughtful, reverent, and heartfelt sacrifice of praise to God. Thanks for joining us. Well, today we begin our first interview. Uh, Today, Matt Basford will be joining me. And I hope that uh, you'll enjoy this discussion on the hymn, Exalted. Matt wrote the lyrics for Exalted, and the music was written by Sister Charlie Couchman. And uh, the recording is provided uh, with the permission of Symphonia, who's responsible for uh, the production of many good hymns and good hymn recordings. You can find more information about them on Symphonia.com and uh, download re- this recording and many others on SymphoniaDownloads.com. We're going to listen to the first verse of Exalted, and then we'll get right into the interview, and we'll include a, a full recording of the hymn at the end. Well, joining me on the program today is Matt Basford. Matt, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you to talk about hymns and other such interesting things this morning. Yes, I know this is a great passion of yours, and uh, you've helped me tremendously in the past. Uh, I still remember, I think it was the summer of 2008, that I was on the FC Friends Tour, and I ended up staying at your house, and you graciously stayed up really late with me talking hymns stuff and um, have helped me tremendously critiquing hymns and all sorts of stuff through the years. So I, I really appreciate that. Uh, well, thank you, brother. Although I, uh, I guess it shows how old that I'm getting. I, part of me can't believe that you're not still in FC, but <laughs> I, I guess that's how the years pass on. Yes. Yes. But um, I, I've really been grateful for you and for so many others who have uh, helped me along in writing and helped so many other people. I'm grateful for the community of, of hymn writers that there are to, to work together on these things. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I want to talk just today about uh, the hymn Exalted, um, which I know is probably one of the more broader uh, circulated hymns um, that you've been a part of writing and uh, talk a little bit about that. But before we jump into that hymn specifically, how did, how did you end up getting into hymn writing originally? Uh, serendipity, basically, because uh, I grew up in Columbia, Missouri, and my family and I worshipped at the Eastside Church of Christ there in Columbia, and it just so happened that one of the other members uh, at the time was Craig Roberts. And all my life, I've been interested in words and writing, very much an English-oriented kind of guy. And so, in 1997, Craig hatched the idea for a hymn writing seminar, and uh, he invited people from all over the country, but also invited uh, folks who were local whom he thought might be interested. And I was and went to the first seminar and fell in love and really have never looked back. But since that time, much of my writing has been concentrated on writing hymns. Yeah. 
And so how did Exalted specifically get started? That's an interesting question. That one too has a Craig-related answer to it. Uh, because this would have been the, the, the very next year, the first time that the him and R was combined with R.J. Stevens Singing School in 1998. And that Sunday morning, uh, R.J. invited Craig to preach a sermon for everybody before the singing school got started. And the title of the sermon was The Glory and the Shame. And what it was, was a study of, there were probably 40 or 50 passages that Craig had listed out and that looked at uh, how it was that from the beginning, it was intended both that Jesus' ministry would be glorious and yet that it would conclude with a shameful end that itself would turn out to be glorious. It was really a sermon that opened to my eyes to the, the irony that has always been present in the ministry of Christ. And so for about the next six months, I kept on trying to capture that. Yeah. So I know that the hymn went through different versions because uh, it's a little bit of a different kind of song with these short lines. It doesn't ever really rhyme. It, it's just kind of these little snippets of scripture that come together. And, and irony is a great word for that. Cause I feel like that you, you accomplished what you set out to do. It, it is one of the hymns that we have that best captures the idea of the glory and the shame at the same time that exalted is a, it's an upside down way of becoming exalted. So what, yes. what was that editing process like as far as like figuring that out? It wasn't so much an editing process as it was a crumpling up and disgust and throwing away process. <laughs> because at that time, yeah, I had only been writing hymns for, I guess, a little over a year. And as you can attest, that learning to write hymns is really a language of its own, at least if you're writing within the rules of formal hymnody. And at this point, it was still very obvious that writing hymns was my second language, that I wasn't able to work fluidly in rhyme and meter. And so I kept on trying to put this big concept inside the rules, and I couldn't do it. I just didn't have the skill. And so eventually I just gave up on trying to make it rhyme entirely and relied on parallelism within the hymn as a kind of rhyme. And pretty much wrote what is sung today yeah well it 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 works so well um and of course charlie's done such a wonderful job with the music that is so simple but also captures that irony especially on the word exalted where it goes to the minor chord and it, it um it's unique, I feel like, among the hymns that we sing, both in the way that it's put together and just the way it comes across. But after you sing it, you, you have this sense of awe of, wow, like all these scriptures have come together and it, it's this glorious shame that, that you've described um, that I feel like it really does accomplish that. Thank you. And I think that Charlie's music is really key to the success of the hymn. Because, uh, not to get too deep into hymn geekery here, 
but the lyrics as they stand actually have a very serious technical problem that should have prevented them from being sung. But Charlie is a composer who always works very well with a challenge. And so what she did is she figured out a way to make the music interesting with rhythm when the lyrics really didn't give her scope to make it interesting with melody. Yeah, because it, it is kind of a flat melody in a lot of ways. Yes. But the simple chords and then the trading back and forth between the parts creates this layering effect, which again, I feel like as we're talking about like the prophecies of Jesus in the first verse, it, it gives you almost this sense of like a montage of, all right, here's these, you know, foreshadowings of the Messiah. And then they all come together in this glorious shame and he's exalted. That, that, that's an interesting thought that it, I suppose that the layering in the music does make it feel layered when it's sung. Yes. And it works so well. I, I love the hymns that the two of you have worked on together um, that they, the technical meets the intuitive really well. Um, and exalted, I think is one of those um, good, good matchups for sure. It, it is. And the funny thing is that exalted is not something that sounds good in finale. A lot of hymns are, you might think of them as finale all-stars, that when you enter them into the computer and you push play, that then they sound great with all of those notes being hit with mechanical precision. The finale file for Exalted actually sounds really boring, so that nobody knew it was any good until we started singing it. I was like, wow, that just really opens up there. Yeah. It's really true. So for our listeners, Finale is this music notation software that you put the music in to print it out, but it also play it back for you with any number of cheesy MIDI sounds and different instruments you can make it sound like. But um, that's absolutely right. There's a world of difference between how it sounds on your computer and how it sounds when it's sung. I still remember the first time I sang Exalted was at FC Alabama camp, uh, and I don't remember, it would have been around 2005, maybe. And we were, had this small group and we were learning new hymns and we sang that song. I just remember getting chills, like the, fir- the very first time I heard it and it was just like, wow, like that's, it's so simple. But when you sing it, it just, it just works. It does. And it sounds different from anything else that we sang. It's, it's its own thing. And even since then, neither Charlie nor I have really tried to write anything else like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's just kind of its own thing out there. Yeah, it really works. Well, let's look a little closer at the lyrics um, that you put together and um, talk about the scriptures behind those. This is one of my favorite things to do. And I think one of the more profitable things we can do with our hymn lyrics is connect them to the scriptures, let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. So the first verse reads, Known before the world, seen in future days, glimpsed by righteous men, son of God, sent as David's heir, named an ageless king, granted all the earth, exalted. So what were some of the scriptures that you had in mind, Matt, when you were penning these lines? Uh, In the first verse, there are really two main passages that I was uh, looking at. The first half of the first hymn is about uh, 1 Peter 
1, 10 through 12, which says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So those are the ideas that I was playing with in the, the first half of it. How uh, even though there was a sense in which the shape of Jesus' ministry was a mystery to everyone, there was also a sense in which it was very well known that there would be someone who would uh, be coming and indeed had been known to be coming since before the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about that scripture as well. And even down in first uh, Peter one, verse 20, I mean, the phrase he was foreknown before the foundation of the yep. world, um, known before the world this is the first line. Yeah. I, all, all through the context, there were, there were things there that I was looking at. Yeah. And even that phrase, seen in future days, I, I think about the book of Daniel when I think about that and like the vision of the Son of Man and seal up this vision. It's for many days from now yes. kind of stuff. Yes, there's a lot of Daniel in the first verse, especially in the second half, but it's there as well. Mm -hmm. I love your word choice when you say uh, glimpsed by righteous men. You know, it's just like you just catch a, a fleeting glimpse of him uh, in prophecy uh, kind of like what Jesus said, um, uh, truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it in Matthew thirteen seventeen. Yes. And I don't know that I was thinking particularly about those verses, but it's one of the places where uh, exalted works because it is tapping into these great themes of scripture that there are many passages that we could look at that talk about. Christ as the fulfillment of prophecy and all of these uh, things that have been written for thousands of years that are all of a sudden coming to a head. Yeah. So that second half of uh, the first verse, what were you thinking in that part? That is second Samuel seven, as I'm sure does not come as a surprise to you. For sure. That, uh, I'll, uh, pick it up with verse 12. This is what Nathan says to David as sort of his consolation when David learns that he's not supposed to build the temple. Uh, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And then likewise down in verse 16, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. And you, you mentioned Daniel and that is also uh, something that I think we see in uh, at the end of the, the vision of the statue in get there. What is it? Daniel two, Daniel three, Daniel three, Daniel two, Daniel two. Yeah, the idea that in verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven, the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. 
it will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. So this too is part of all of those messianic prophecies that the Jews recognized and celebrated while not anticipating the way that those prophecies would be fulfilled. Yes. And that's such a theme in scripture is the, what was anticipated and the reality were so different for the Jews. And yet when we, this side of the cross are blessed to look back at this, we can see how perfectly all of these things line up in God's plan, which none of us would have anticipated. Yes. The way that it is fascinating that, and we might be a little far afield, but I can't resist. Uh, It is fascinating that when Jesus comes in the setting that he does, all of the Jews are looking for a Messiah who will lead them to victory over the Romans. And yet one of the things that Jesus is trying to do is warn them that uh, trying to fight off the Romans is going to lead them to disaster. That they need to look inwardly rather than outwardly for salvation. That's right. And that has struck me over and over reading the gospels more recently, just how frequently that misunderstanding is playing into the, what Jesus is telling his disciples. Absolutely. That I, I think it is nearly impossible to get what we ought to get out of the gospels, unless we are reading them through that particular political and historical lens. Mm-hmm. So with the, with the phrase exalted, which is, I mean, really the, the heart of the hymn, um, I've always connected that with the end of Isaiah 52, which is really the beginning of the servant song into Isaiah 53. Is that what you had in mind when you wrote it? That's an interesting question, because certainly that's the connection that I would make now. I'm not sure that is the connection that I made then, that it's almost like a mathematical proof where you have done the the math right and therefore you arrive at the right answer and there's a sense in which i I, because i'm pretty sure i found isaiah 52 13 after having written it and it made me realize that this was something that was always there because you have this phrase that sounds so dignified and elevated yet is as you say the the prologue to that great description of the sufferings of Christ in Isaiah 53, that his exaltation from hundreds of years beforehand was always promised to be an ironic exaltation. Yes, because that that really caught my eye. Because, of course, for years I just studied Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, but it wasn't until it was pointed out, well, really, the servant song starts in Isaiah 52, 13, And the first verse says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Yes. And you're thinking, all right, here we go. Here's the servant. And immediately he's marred beyond semblance and he's rejected and despised. And we turned away from him and all of our sins are laid on him. And wait, 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 exalted. Yes. But that that is. That, that is one of the chapter breaks that does us a great disservice because right. you, you have all of these expectations that Isaiah is setting up about who the servant is going to be. And then as you say, he just subverts all of those immediately that what you think is coming is not what you are going to get. And so there is 
a sense in which it is easy to understand why the Jews so totally misunderstood things as a rule. And yet at the same time, it was there all along for everyone to see. Mm-hmm. So that really gets us into the second verse of the song uh, that gets more specifically into his suffering. Cause the first verse sets us up for glory, but then like the minor chord exalted question mark, and then kind of leads into verse two uh, seen with blinded eyes heard by heedless ears met with wicked hearts, son of God, worshipped with contempt, crowned with blood and thorns, throned upon a cross, exalted. So what were you thinking in this second verse, scripture-wise? Uh, there, I think probably the best text that captures the first half is, uh, look at John 12, it'll start in about verse 37. It says, even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. And that, too, is one of the fascinating things about those prophecies, because it was not merely that Jesus' ironic dual nature was predicted. It is that his rejection by his own people was predicted. In fact, that text from Isaiah is one of the most quoted Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament. It doesn't just show up there. It also shows up, just to pick one obvious example, at the end of Acts 28. Uh, where Paul tells the Jews in Rome, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, go to these people and say, you will always be listening but never understanding, and you will always be looking but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. So, you know, this ironic reception is, I think, one of the key themes of the ministry of Jesus, that even though all of these people had been told for hundreds of years in these scriptures that they searched constantly who it was that Jesus would be, when he came, the vast majority of them failed to recognize him for what he was. And that's sobering, I think, for all of us. Uh, to think about, we search the scriptures all the time. I mean, Jesus, of course, will say, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, and it's these that testify yes, about John me. John 5, yeah. And um, we, we need eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, yes, and it is not necessarily the religious elite who will have those. That This is a passage that should call those of us who have been religiously dedicated all our lives to some very sober self-consideration to make sure that we are not missing the point of Jesus as the, the people who in some ways were much like us 2000 years ago missed the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Pharisees were famous for their piety yeah. and yet they failed in the most important way that they had to fail. Yeah. 
and that met with wicked hearts. I mean, that's what Jesus will say. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And again, so much of what he says about those people was also part of their scripture. He's just yes. constantly quoting from Isaiah. Yes, that there are these warnings about who they would become if they weren't careful and they missed the warning. They thought they were about somebody else. Mm -hmm. So that, that gets us to kind of the coronation scene of the cross in the latter part of verse 2. Uh, worshipped with contempt, crowned with blood and thorns, throned upon a cross. And, and again, this just works so well because you've got the worshipped, crowned, throned, and then contempt blood thorns across and the, the glory and the shame put together here and what scriptures do you have in mind there uh here we are talking for instance uh about uh, the scene of jesus being humiliated uh by herod's soldiers and you know, all of the synoptic, synoptic gospels will talk about this um probably the the one that best captures what is uh, going on is, uh, we see it, for instance, in uh, Mark fourteen sixty five. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. Uh, then uh, verse 16 of Mark 15 the soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, they, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. And after they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on him. And then, of course, he is taken out to be crucified, that this ultimately is the only earthly throne that this ironic king gets. Yeah, it's really striking to me how everybody thinks Jesus is going to be a king. Of course, they have in mind this physical, political king. And when he actually is throned, it is on a cross. Um, somebody yes. pointed out to me the connection when James and John ask for positions of honor. They say, let us sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. And of course, when Jesus is crucified, that phrase on the right and on the left is used to describe the, the thieves yes. that are on either side of him. And so there is this picture of this is Jesus's glory. He is being exalted. Yes. Even in his crucifixion. It, going back to John 12 for a moment, it's so telling that Isaiah is talking about all of these uh, ways in which Jesus is going to be rejected by his people. And John's comment on that is that this is what Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. That the glory of Jesus from the beginning was always going to be an ironic sort of glory. Mm -hmm. And so that brings us to the, the third verse, um, which pulls several of these strands together. Um, Scorned by those who watched, mocked by all the wise, loved within belief, son of God, born to take my death, slain to give me life, Jesus, son of God, exalted, exalted. 
And I'm sure some of these passages all come together in the third verse, but did you have any other specific uh, scriptures in mind here? Um, especially in the first half of the third verse, I was thinking of First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, beginning with verse 22. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And it's, I think, more veiled, but that is the passage that I was after in the first part of the third verse, that you have the people who were near, the, the Jews who rejected him because as we've talked about, the whole way in which he came was a stumbling block to them. This was not the Messiah they were prepared to accept. And then you have, uh, once the gospel is proclaimed, Jesus is proclaimed as someone who rose from the dead. And that was something that the philosophy of the Greeks left them utterly unprepared to accept. Because that was something that the philosophers were very clear on, that just as we would observe today, people don't rise from the dead, people can't rise from the dead, that's foolish. And so you have all of these unbelievers who reject Jesus for reasons that are specific to themselves. But then those who believe him recognize, believe in him recognize him for what he is and they love him. Yeah, And that's really what that line, loved within belief, means. That uh, was not the clearest thing that I've ever written. Probably if I could go back in time and rewrite it, I would. But it is simply the idea that we as believers recognize what he has done for us and we love him. Yeah, because I, I, that was a line that confused me initially, um, but I'm grateful for the, the clarification that's been brought to that. And especially when you read it, in first Corinthians one, 23 and 24, you can see the contrast there and that, that helps to, to clarify that. And so the last part, um, born to take my death slain to give me life, Jesus, son of God. Um, do you have anything particular in mind there? Uh, probably Hebrews 10, uh, beginning with verse five. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire or sacrifice an offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And then skipping down to verse 10, by this will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. The idea being that that's the reason why Jesus came from the beginning. His body was to be a sacrifice. And that the effect of his death was to give all of us life. Yes. And I, I was thinking also about Isaiah 53 again with the, by his wounds, we are healed. And yes. it's fascinating to me because as I was analyzing this in myself and th trying to think about well, what scriptures might have the author have had in mind it's interesting to me how many times we've, we've come to at it with different scriptures that make the same point um and that when we and you've made this point before just as a as a hymn writer when you're writing from scripture sometimes you end up making accidental references to scriptures that maybe you you weren't thinking of in the moment 
But when we're immersed in scripture, when we're thinking about biblical ideas and using that language, we can end up bringing together scriptures that are, are helpful and, and intended to, to be thought of together. Yes. And that there are, when we're talking about the suffering and the glory of Jesus, then we're talking about one of the great themes of the Bible, that this was something that God spent thousands of years carefully setting up. And probably, yeah, I, I mentioned a few moments ago that the sermon that Craig preached that started all of this off, that he distributed a sheet that had like 50 passages on it, and didn't get through half of them in the course of his sermon. Uh, but, you know, all those 50 passages are there, that this is something that all of the writers of scripture are talking about in some way or other. And because scripture does, does show this unitary intelligence, this unitary guiding mind behind it. If you're focusing on one and you're dealing faithfully with the text, then it's going to tie into a whole bunch of other stuff, especially when it comes to this. Yes. It's just the, the root system that when you pull one root up, it just connects and goes all sorts of different places. And the deeper you dig, the farther it spreads. Uh, absolutely. And- I think that none of us should ever have any hope of fathoming fully everything that the Bible has revealed about the mystery of Christ. Amen. But I'm grateful for hymns like this that uh, do a good job of putting us on that trail of tying together a few of those scriptures, helping us to see a bigger theme. And I love that about hymns is that sometimes a hymn will give you a sense of something from scripture. And once you see it in one place, you start to see it all over the place. And of course, with the suffering and glory of Jesus, it's just, you can't miss it once you start to see it. Yes. And I, I think that one of the ways in which we differ from brethren in the first century is that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, for instance, it almost tends to be like a, a funeral service. That here we, we have come together to remember Christ's death. But commonly what we see, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Paul there is conceiving of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the same event. And that's harder to wrap your mind around because you are taking this awful, tragic thing that happened with the death of Jesus, and you are pairing it with this glorious, magnificent fulfillment of God's promise that gives hope to all of us. And you're saying this is the same thing. And uh, one of the things that Exalted attempts to capture is that, that paradox that, you know, it's not something that any human being would have come up with. None of us would have thought to do things that way. And yet this was the plan of God because the, the foolishness of God is wiser than we are. Yes, exactly. And I love how the hymn ends on that joyful note. It's just majestic the way Charlie put that music together with the moving lines and it takes a little bit of practice to get it. But at the end of the song, man, that this ironic exalted throughout is then the glorious exalted at the end. It's all part of the same song. It's this song that God has been composing in scripture, so to speak, throughout the old Testament culminating in the cross. And then really, it is for us to participate in the glory and the shame. I mean, this is a huge theme in first Peter, the suffering and glory 
that Christians are called to participate in. Yes. Um, in, in our lives. Yes, that we are called to be a part of the divine paradox too. That, you know, if you want to be first, become a servant. There are so many ways that discipleship takes the expectations of the world and subverts them so that if we are truly following Jesus, then we will find glory in a very different way than anyone who is not a Christian would expect. Yes. And the more we study our, our Messiah, our Christ, the more we come to understand how he was exalted, the better we will be able to follow in his yes. steps. And the more encouragement we have to do so, which is the, the great discussion at the beginning of Hebrews 12. Uh, we are looking to him and we are following him uh, because he was someone who went to the cross despising the shame. And because of that was glorified. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for your thoughts. Uh, do you have anything else uh, for today's discussion? Nope, I think that's about it, brother. I really appreciate your invitation. May God bless you and your work and indeed the work of all brethren everywhere through this time. Amen. Thanks, Matt. so much for listening to the conversation today. I hope that this conversation with Matt Bassford was encouraging to you. It certainly was to me. Uh, again, a thank you to Symphonia for providing the recording today. If you'd like to download that recording, it is available at symphoniadownloads.com and there's more information about the hymnal that Symphonia has put together at symphonia.com. That's S-U-M-P-H-O-N-I-A.com more information and resources, see the sacrifice of praise.com. Thanks so much for listening today.